Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, did you know the last Florida quarterback drafted in the NFL was Tim Tebow? Could Felipe Franks break that drought? And he's already been drafted as a pitcher by the Red Sox. Can Florida make a run at the SEC title this season? And is Georgia becoming the new Alabama? And how much is Jimbo Fisher to blame for Florida State's mess? He's in the SEC now. Careful what you wish for. We've got all that and why The Bachelor is so popular in SEC country as we talk to Times College football writer Matt Baker on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, is scalloping season on your bucket list? Well, if so, you can do that with Captain Mike swimming with the manatees in Crystal River. Uh, it is scallop season. It goes through September 24th in Citrus County, and it is the ultimate family bonding experience. Now, book your scalloping tours right now and if you wish to adventure on your own they've got plenty of party boats if you have a party larger than six they have a great selection of uh, passenger pontoons available you can rent them uh, during the scallop season and with the rental you also get a gps a dive flag anchor and all the required safety equipment all you need uh, is a uh, saltwater fishing license that's the only thing that's not included so book online now and get ready for some scalloping fun Book online at swimmingwiththemanatees.com or call 352-571-1888. Okay, Matt Baker joins us uh, from lovely Hoover, Alabama, where the SEC football meetings are taking place. And, Matt, first of all, what's what's this week like? I mean, I guess this is sort of the uh, the precursor to knowing that college football is almost back. Is, is it? Uh, what are the meetings like in general for those of us who haven't been to one? Yeah, so – for me, it's really, really crazy because there's kind of, I mean, <laughs> this is a good, one of the good things where this is actually set up for, for, for the media. Uh, you know, it's not like mm-hmm. the SEC meetings where they're there to meet and talk about important things. And yeah, they talk to reporters, but that's not the focus. This is set up for us. So there's a whole kind of wall-to-wall stuff where I don't have a ton of breaks. I'm not complaining, don't, don't get me wrong, but it's just right. wall-to-wall stuff where the co- this coach comes in here and then you got 10 minutes and then some players come in. Then you got to start transcribing. You got to post something. You got to write something else. Then a different coach is coming in. And it's just kind of one thing after another um, in, a, in a very big hotel, which is connected to a mall. Might try and go get a, like a Cinnabon for lunch or something, maybe. <laughs> nice. Um, there you go. And uh, as, as I'm looking around, there's just kind of wall to wall little studio set up. Uh, old Miss coach Matt Luke just walked by a minute ago. It's kind of a, it's kind of an absolute circus to be honest with you, Rick. Yeah, the who's who of SEC football. All right, let's get right into it. You had a chance to talk to Dan Mullen, of course, the Florida coach. A lot of expectations uh, for the Gators, but they've had some they've had some players sort of enter and leave through the transfer portal. They got some scholarships available. Is this just the nature of college football? Or did the Gators uh, lose more than they, they anticipated? It's the nature of college football, but the Gators lost more than, than they anticipated, I think. I mean, there's been, by my count, nine players from Florida enter the transfer portal. That's not absurdly high in the SEC, but it's on the high side. 
Um, some of them weren't necessarily going to play a ton. You know, Brian Edwards, the, the backup defensive back, was in the last, I think, one of the last ones to, to um, enter the portal. He was going to contribute but not be a star or, or a starter or anything like that. So that kind of hurts you on the depth side. But there's also uh, other things, too, that definitely hurt. I mean, four of the 25 guys that they signed in this top 10 2019 recruiting class aren't going to play a meaningful down at Florida. Um, Jalen Jones may or may not have been a, a quarterback of the future kind of candidate as a blue chip guy. Chris Steele, we've talked about before, was certainly going to enter in the rotation this year at defensive back and, and potentially be a very good contributor, maybe even star down the line for them. And then they lost a couple others to, due to academics, and there's still three that haven't arrived at campus yet. So there's definitely, I think, some concerns there, not really for, for this year, but as I'm looking down the road, if those holes aren't filled, either with JUCO guys down the line or maybe a little bit kind of an upgrade in recruiting for, for next year, there's some definite cracks that could show in, in 2020 and 2021. So I think I, I think if Florida's going to make a run and try and top Georgia and really battle and win the East or can compete for it, this might be the year in the next couple of years where they've got a shot. I guess I, if you're an optimist, you say, well, some of these guys might be transferring because the talent is already so good that, that there's not a lot of openings on the roster for these guys to play right away. Is that is that the, the half-full way to look at it? It's it's a way to look at it. I mean, again, some of the guys, I think that there's absolutely some, some truth to that. Look at Antonius Clayton, who was the top recruit, and I think it was the 2016 class for the Gators. Um, he, he's a guy that... You know, he was extremely talented, but he wasn't going to play a ton. And so he ended up going to, to Georgia Tech and Jeff Collins up there in Atlanta. Um, ho- closer to home made a lot of sense. But there's also guys who just for one reason or another didn't work out. And some of those are going to you know, some of those are going to leave a mark, Rick. And that, that kind of again, they're going to be somewhere around the 78 and in, in where they are scholarship wise. So, you know, plus or minus a couple. That's not where you want to be. You want to be as close to 85 as you can, but certainly are around 80, and they're going to be down more than that even, it looks like. Of course, uh, with college football, any football, the talk is always about the quarterback, and the Gators have a guy that's played a lot of football for him, and he's, and he's been successful more than not, and that's Felipe Franks. Um, you know, what, what are the things that, you know, he's not been the most accurate passer necessarily. He's a good athlete. He can do things with his feet. What's, what's the next step for him? What's the next level? What gives Dan Mullen confidence that this is the guy that's going to get them over the top this year? It's the cliche, but it's true. I think it's the comfort of being in the offense for a second season. You know, some yeah. of the, the accuracy issues, he was outside, I think it was like 76, 77th in the country nationally um, mm-hmm. in, in completion percentage, which obviously is not great. Um, some, of the, some of the throws, maybe they were there, and he missed them. He just wasn't making the right read, or he made the right read, but it was a split second too late. And some of those, you know, you, you kind of add those things up, and those are missed passes that maybe he could have had had he been right mentally. And, and that comes with time. That comes with experience. So I, I think if you're going to be an optimist on, on why Felipe Franks is going to take that next step forward, because he had a good 2018. I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, it was a 24 touchdown, six interceptions, uh, which is one of the top 20 ratios in the country. Uh, only, I think it was two starter, two returning starters, had a bigger jump year over year in terms of passing efficiency than Franks did. Seven rushing touchdowns. You had all the stuff, but he had a good season. But if he's going to make that step from good to great, to where Florida needs him to be if they're going to really battle Georgia and try and win the East, then it's going to have to be because of his experience in the system. 
being more knowledgeable and making the right reads, which is something he hasn't done enough of in his time at Gainesville so far. You talked to Franks. Uh, I, you know, this is a guy that could come back as a fifth-year senior. What's his thoughts about beyond uh, this year with uh, playing in Florida? Does he expect to be drafted in the NFL? That's not a position. I mean, I think I, I read where uh, you said Tim Tebow is the last Florida quarterback to be drafted at all. Can we just talk about that for, for a second? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's bizarre, it's, right? It, it's, it is insane. I didn't realize how bad it was until I started looking into it. Um, but, you know, the, Tim Tebow in 2010 was the last Gators quarterback drafted. Since Jeez. then, they've had two Florida quarterbacks drafted to play baseball. They've had four former Gators quarterbacks <laughs> who transferred elsewhere and were drafted, including Will Greer last year and that, that Cam Newton yeah. fellow that, that Bucks fans <laughs> yeah. are, are a little bit familiar with. Um, yeah. They've had position. They've had a guy drafted at every other position, including kicker and punter, except for <laughs> long snapper. That's where Gators' quarterback position has been uh, in the college level, and obviously what they've thought of him in the next level. So I, I think Franks can certainly be—he's he's certainly an NFL-type guy. I'm not saying he's going to be a first-round pick. I'm not saying he's going to be a star. He might not even right. get drafted, Rick. But he's certainly a guy that would get looks. You, know, you can't teach 6'6", 240. You That's can't correct. teach the athleticism. You can't teach the athleticism that he's shown. You can't teach the arm strength. I mean, go back to the Hail Mary, if you want to call it a Hail Mary, to beat Tennessee. That 63-yard bomb, there's not a lot of guys on this planet who can make that throw. I think some NFL coach, when they watch the film, either after it's this season, if he chooses to leave, or after his fifth year, some NFL coach is going to look at that stuff and the raw ability and talk himself into either drafting him or, or certainly making, you know, giving him a shot to make a roster as an undrafted guy. So, it, it, but to me, that's all dependent on, on what he does this year because he has that potential. There's a reason he was as highly recruited as he was out of high school. There's a reason the Red Sox picked him in the 31st round and then spent 40K to, to sign him, even though he might not ever even play baseball again. It's because there's this, there's a lot of untapped potential there, and this is the year if he's going to make that big jump, he needs to start turning that production or that potential into production for the Gators. Yeah, he definitely has the measurables in, in playing at a high-profile program like Florida. He has every opportunity to show that. One quarterback I am sure that will be drafted and probably fairly high, although you don't hear much about him as you do about Tua, is, is Jake Fromm. Um, this guy has been successful from an early age with Georgia. Georgia has certainly uh, been right on the doorstep and knocking, uh, you know, against Alabama every year. We'll get your picks for the SEC in a moment. But what's the story with uh, with 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 Fromm? I mean, is he generally considered right there, sort of neck and neck, as the, the best quarterback in the SEC? It's hard because Tua is so good. Um, yeah. th there's going to be a drop between two and the next guy, because other than Trevor Lawrence at, at, at Clemson, there's just not a lot of guys of that caliber in, in, in right. the game right now. But to me, Fromm is still really, really good. I mean, he was one of the tops in passing efficiency in the country last year. You look at who he's beat out the last couple of years, too. I mean, Jacob Eason was kind of seemed like he was kind of God's gift to quarterbacks, um, which is why Florida and Georgia and everybody in the country were fighting over him a couple of years ago. All Fromm did was make sure that when Eason got hurt, he didn't have a, a starting spot to go back to. Fromm took Georgia to the national title game you know, as a, as a freshman. And then the next year, Justin Fields is one of the highest-rated quarterback recruits in, the, in this modern era, rivals era of recruiting. It's him and Trevor Lawrence. 
And all Jake Fromm did was make sure that Justin Fields, if he saw the, the, the field, it was only in kind of a specialty package because that's how good and efficient Fromm was. So you kind of add that up to me. I think he, I mean, he's a darn good player. He's a very good uh, – he doesn't have necessarily the NFL size that they would want. He was a little bit on the smaller side. But to sure. me, potential-wise, he's absolutely going to get drafted maybe in the first round. Um, and, and he's going to have Georgia in the hunt to win a national title again this year. Yeah, they're very, very good. And, and uh, speaking of, of quarterbacks, and, you know, Florida um, has done their share of recruiting these. But you mentioned to me before the podcast, Matt Coral. Uh, who's going to be old Mrs. Uh, old Mrs. Sort of starting quarterback? That's a guy that Florida had an early commitment from, right? Yeah. So, so Coral's an interesting guy. A uh, little bit of trivia: if you Google him, one of the first things that's going to come up is uh, Matt Coral plus Wayne Gretzky's son, because apparently he may or may not have punched out Wayne Gretzky's son when they were in high school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's in college one. football the best trick. Yeah, yeah it's, it's um, awesome. Yeah. So he's a California guy. Um, was initially committed to, to USC uh, after his sophomore season. I mean, he was a four-star, top 100 recruit, top five pro-style quarterback in the 2018 class. Eventually, uh, Jim McElwain was able to get him to flip to Florida. And it seemed like he might be kind of the Gators quarterback of the future after the Felipe Franks era ended, or maybe during the Felipe Franks era, he might have been able to beat him out. Um, and then, of course, the Jim McElwain future ended uh, rather abruptly. And uh, Coral was kind of a guy who started looking around like a lot of other recruits in that uh, 2018 class just because of the coaching change and the transition from McElwain to Mullen. And he ended up uh, going to Old Miss. And the reason why, it's kind of interesting. Again, he's a California guy. He, he knew the SEC, but he didn't know how passionate the fan base was and that all that. It just means more stuff until he started visiting Florida, until he was committed to Florida and he saw it firsthand. And then afterward, he was like, you know what? I want to play in this league. So then he started looking around, and Ole Miss was his best opportunity to play quickly. Uh, you know, Shea Patterson ended up going to Michigan, and uh, Jordan Tom, who uh, played pretty decent last year, I think he's with the, the Raiders now, but that opened up the opportunity for Matt Coral not only to be the presumptive starter at quarterback for Ole Miss, but one of the vocal leaders on the team and one of their three representatives here in, in beautiful Hoover for SEC Media Days. You know, going back to, to Florida, I mean, this is another kid there had recruited. Um, Franks, of course, is, is entrenched as the starter there. But who do they have in the pipeline? In other words, are there guys that are willing to wait their turn uh, if it's a year or two that, uh, that the Florida fans can be excited about? Yeah, Emory Jones is, is the, the, the guy waiting in the wings. Um, I, I say that but we don't know how long he will wait in the wings. I mean, that's just the nature of, of quarterbacks right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Rick, Rick Neuheisel had the great line that I keep using. If you're a quarterback in this day and age, if you're not starting, you're departing. You know, only one guy is, is going to get that opportunity in the way some of the you know, NCAA has been giving some of the transfer waivers and certainly with the transfer portal making it a lot easier, you see guys leave earlier now than you used to. Um, I'm not saying Emory is going to leave or anything like that. We've kind of asked him about that a little bit uh, over the, the last few months, and he's saying the right things. He wants to compete for the job. That certainly seems like it's Felipe Franks' to lose, if that's possible, um, and, and maybe wait a turn. But it would be really interesting to me what might happen if Felipe does come back for a fifth year, whether Emory would decide he wanted to stick around or, or, or whether he might want to, to, to leave and try and find greener pastures. But that's kind of a, a problem down the line. And in some ways... 
Emery's skill set might be better suited for, for Dan Mullen than what he tries to do. Um, Franks showed in the last four games, starting really the second half against South Carolina when he started shushing the home crowd, that he can be a willing runner, which is what Mullen wants in his offense. Emery is a better runner than Felipe. Uh, arm is not there, but it's certainly made progress since he's been there. So it would be really curious to see what he ends up doing if indeed he does play for, for the Gators uh, and, and see meaningful action beyond a kind of a specialty package, which we might see this year too. You know, later today, as we do this podcast, you'll have a chance to talk to Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher, of course, all those years uh, winning a national championship uh, at Florida State. And, uh, you know, uh, we talked uh, before we went on uh, on with this podcast about how when he was at Florida State, he always had a, an eye towards the SEC. I mean, for as much as Clemson has done what they've done and, and the ACC is a good league, um, the spotlight seems, to, especially in the South, to be on that conference. And he had coached in LSU, of course, and seemed to want to get back there. Um, but now that he is, this, this will now – yeah, this this will now be um, – you know, a year where there's some expectations with Texas A&M. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, how has he done there, and and what what is the you know sort of what is the the ceiling for for A&M uh, in the SEC right now? Well, the ceiling for A&M is national championship. I, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Don't 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 get me wrong here, um, but that's absolutely the ceiling. I mean, A&M has the infrastructure in place. They have the money. I mean, there's Jimbo, let's not forget, got a $75 million 10-year. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Holding guaranteed contracts. They, wow. they print money in College Station. They've got wonderful facilities, a great stadium, a very, very passionate fan base that hasn't won a national title since 1939. They would love, they are starving, Rick, for a national championship. And that's why, you know, A&M plucked one of the only guys, one of the active coaches right now who has one. Um, yeah. So that's the ceiling. But this year, it, it, it's hard to see that happening. I mean, Jimbo has recruited at a high level at A&M. Uh, I think they had a top six class this past year, and I think they're going to have more of that going. I I expect them to to recruit at the level that he did with Florida State when he kept getting guys like Jameis Winston and and what have you. Um, The the problem is Jimbo wanted to be with the big fish in the SEC. Well, here you are. You're in the big fish in the SEC. I mean, Mm. their their schedule this year is just brutal. They, They play at Clemson. They play Bama. And they play at Georgia. So that's the top three teams in the country. And they play all three of them. They also play, I think it's at LSU, right? Uh, yes, which is a top great. eight, a top eight, maybe top five program I could see. Um, mm. And then Auburn and, and some of the other guys too. South Carolina is going to be pretty good, a top 25 potential team. So I say that to say A&M could be legitimately the fourth best team in the country in terms of talent and everything else and finish nine and three. That's wow. a legit possibility for A&M uh, and, and just because of what they have. So you wanted to be with the big fish, Jimbo? Now you got it. Good hmm. luck. Okay, he's got, definitely got to earn his money. And uh, speaking of money, 
Uh, I assume he's going to be asked about this. Matt, you wrote a story about it, of course, uh, a couple weeks ago, Florida State's athletic department um, having having some financial strife, and that's putting it mildly. How much of that uh, can be pinned on Jimbo Fisher? I mean, I know football is an expensive endeavor. He tried to upgrade facilities. Uh, recruiting was something that they did uh, you know, for a number of years there that eats up some of the budget. But um, is any of this on him, the, what he left behind? Some of it absolutely is. Um, just some of it is because of the uh, recruiting money that they needed to, uh, the recruiting budget that they needed to recruit against the Bamas and those guys at a, a high, high level, which they did. Uh, some right. of the infrastructure they needed. I mean, I go back to one of the things he did early on. He, he made sure all the players had these GPS devices so they could see how fast everybody was going at, at certain times. And, you know, if wow. kind of I, either identify injuries when potentially when they're happening, if somebody's numbers aren't looking the way they used to, or monitor kind of the pitch count, so to speak, as they're working way, their way back from injuries. So that's just one example of many that Jimbo did to upgrade the infrastructure, and that costs money. Um, and, and the other side of it, too, that, that's the expense side. There's also the revenue side. Um, the way Jimbo left the program and that, that you know, uh, seven-win um, 2017 season, obviously, I mean, the, the Texas A&M thing was just hanging around for so long. I think the fan base lost a lot of interest, the, the way they fizzled out after the Bama game. You add that stuff up, and that's one reason why the, the disinterest from the Seminoles fans is, is as high as it is. So you add both things up. Yeah, some of the, the finances, are, you know, Jimbo deserves some blame for that, but I don't blame him a ton because it's not his job to watch the money. It's his job to try and keep the program competitive. And you want your lieutenants asking more and more and more and more. Um, it's somebody's job to figure out how to make it work or to say, no, we don't have the money. And I don't know that that happened enough in Tallahassee. You know, he has said, I think he's been asked about, you know, the, the talent that he left there and the lack of recruiting uh, the last couple of years. And maybe Willie Taggart is paying a price for that or did in his first year. Jimbo's uh, company line, and he'll probably repeat it today. Uh, again, as we do this podcast, uh, he's a, he's about to speak there. Um, that he he doesn't really feel that the program was in that bad of shape. Yeah, that's what he he told me in Destin when I asked him something along those lines. And again, I, I can see both sides of the, of the, the coin here. I mean, the, <clears throat> he recruited at a high level. He, he left Willie with I think it was three top six classes in a row. There was a good amount of talent. Uh, either guys who didn't necessarily work out, like George Campbell from from East Lake, or, or guys who did. You know, DeAndre Francois, had, it was was talented and, and worked out, leaving a, mm-hmm. a the new coach a starter who was that talented and that experience is, is certainly something that helps. Um, so there, there's that, but again, the culture was not in a good place. The finances were not in a good place. The academics were not in a good place. So there were some bad there too. I was talking with uh, our buddy Mike Bianchi, the Orlando Sentinel, about this earlier today. Mm-hmm. The thing I can't get over, I'm sure I've said this a zillion times here and, and elsewhere, the thing I can't get over about last year with the Knolls, fourth quarter of the Gators game, you know, they had played 47 quarters at this point, and they, they, FSU was pinned back deep on their own part of the field. James Blackman, that quarterback, I just remember Chauncey Gardner-Johnson for the Gators pointing over to the Seminole sideline saying, you guys only have 10 guys on the field. How do you all think you can beat us with only 10 guys? 47 quarters into the season, Rick, they still couldn't Mm. line up correctly. 
that has zero, less than zero to do with Jimbo Fisher. That's a Willie Taggart issue, and it's not the only issue like that that FSU had last year. And we'll see what they can do to, to fix that this year. But that tells me it's a shared blame between the two. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I mean, Taggart, you know, that's a coaching situation. You got to take care of the little things, and then maybe the big things will will work out. So Willie's got some work to do on, on that end. You know, one of my favorite coaches in college football, maybe it's just his, his gravelly voice, maybe it's just that he seems to fit LSU, is Ed Orgeron. And um, oh, yeah. he's a character. A lot of fun to do. Hey, well, my guys are this, that, and the other. He's a lot of guys. He's a fun guy to talk to. But, um, you know, we're about to start Bucks training camp. And, you know, everyone I've talked to in the NFL, <clears throat> you've watched them play. You know, Devin White was drafted fifth overall. That That's an area where the Ray Lewis's and guys like of that ilk are, are usually reserved for at, at, at Mike Linebacker. Very rare for a player to go that high. Matt, it seems like he's the real deal. What did Orgeron tell you about Devin White? Yeah, it's funny when uh, these these media days, everybody you know, every coach typically gets up and they just kind of go through their 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 roster and here's who we're bringing sure. back and all that stuff, almost like it's a filibuster kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. he, he gets he's going through his his roster and talks about Grant Delpit being maybe the best player in college football, and we can talk about him another time. Uh, then he gets to linebacker and says, "We got to replace Devin White." I don't know how we replace Devin White. Um, so still, they're they're still raving about him. And I asked Grant Delpit again, this this do it all safety uh, about White. He, on his own, he called him the fastest linebacker he's ever seen, and then the most vocal player he's ever been with, and then the best linebacker he's ever played with. And LSU has produced some good linebackers over the years, as, as you and, and Bucks fans yes, they have. know. Yeah. Um, and he's just you know absolutely gushing about this guy. So yeah, I, I think I, again, I don't want to call Devin White Ray Lewis. That's not fair. He dude hasn't played a preseason game yet but certainly sure. when you talk to lsu people about him they still think very very highly of the bucks rookie let me ask you the writers usually get together i think at this meeting at some point uh, i don't know if i think it's the writers that they they sort of uh give their 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 poll if you will their votes for who they believe is going to be favored to to win uh, the sec if not each division Matt, when you look at it, I mean, it's awfully hard to, to think that Alabama's not going to be there with uh, with their quarterback and just, you know, Nick Saban and the whole program. I would guess Georgia has the next best chance. I mean, who do you think wins the SEC this year? Well, I, I think those two meet in the SEC title game for another big game between Kirby Smart and his old boss, Nick Saban. My gut tells me that Georgia wins this time. I don't have, wow. like, a great schematic X's and O's reason um, I mean, Georgia's going to obviously has an experienced quarterback who's really good. Uh, they've got a really good offensive line. Um, I'm curious how they do kind of with some of the new receivers they have, including Lawrence Cage or a uh, transfer from Miami. Uh, DeAndre Swift's great running back. So there's, you know, there's plenty of, of, of reasons there to like them as a top three team. But why I why my gut tells me they're going to win against Bama in this SEC title game five months from now or whatever. I think it's just they're, t- they're due. I think it's it's time. They played them neck and neck the last two years. There's been maybe some coaching blunders, like a little bit of bad luck that goes against them. Because really, when if you look at those two games on their own, they have been right on track, right on par with Bama. So to me, I think eventually that's going to rectify itself. You play that close that often, sometime you're going to get the breaks. The, the call is going to go your way this time. A tip pass is going to get into your hands this time. Something like that. So, so to me... 
again, just kind of law of averages catching up, and that's why I think I'm going to say pick pick Georgia to win the SEC this year. Wow. I think, uh, you know, as long as Nick Saban's coaching, Alabama's going to be fine, right? I mean, uh, he, he still oh, yeah. knows how to get it done, how to prepare teams. He'll recruit good players uh, long after, uh, you know, his last quarterback leaves for the NFL. But um, Kirby Smart sort of has the secret sauce, right? I mean, um, he was, uh, you know, had a, had a sideline seat to see how a program is put together. How close does Georgia resemble Alabama? In other words, could Georgia have an extended run long after Saban is gone, do you think? Yes, absolutely. Work with, with the asterisks here. We're assuming for the sake of this discussion that Kirby stays at Georgia because eventually yes, Nick yes. Saban is going to leave. And, and then now he'll he be does, the number one guy to replace him, yeah. Uh, there's there's a coach in Clemson, South Carolina, who's from the state of Alabama. Oh, well, yeah. Played for that guy, yeah, the tie that, yeah th- th- those are right. those are the first two phone calls, and I don't know what will happen then. But for the sake of yeah, this discussion, yeah. we're saying Kirby stays at Georgia for a long time. Yeah, I think Georgia is absolutely set up to to have it. I mean, I said last year. I think if you were going to get Georgia, let for certainly in the East, last year was the year to do it. Just because they lost a good amount of talent with, with your um, Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, Roquan Smith guys, and the way they've recruited, it was going to take a year for it for that to really kind of pay off on the field. Well, their their top couple of recruiting classes, that they're they're dudes now. Those are guys that are on the field. Those are guys that are going to be really good immediately. So, to me, I, I can absolutely see Georgia becoming a power even more than they already are. And, and the other thing we got to remember, too, Rick, aside from Florida, Texas, and California, Georgia is the best high school football state in the country, I think, mm. in terms of the size there, in terms of mm. the way they produce talent. I mean, some of the guys we talked about, Trevor Lawrence is a Georgia guy. Deshaun Watson was a Georgia guy. Jake yeah. Fromm is a Georgia guy. So you look at the way they've been producing talent, and you got to remember, Kirby Smart, A, is an ace recruiter. B, he's recruiting a really, really fertile area as the unquestioned flagship top school in that state. That's a huge advantage that Bama doesn't have. So to me, Georgia is absolutely set up to become, you know, they were the sleeping giant, and they've woken the heck up. And I think they're on track, maybe even this year, to break through and really become the a, a juggernaut or the juggernaut in the sport down the line. In your mind, does uh, the Florida Georgia game decide who wins that con- that side of the conference? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I don't give Florida a, a whole heck of a good chance for that right now. Although you know, who knows what things will look like in October sure. and we know things sure. really weird things happen in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party just really weird stuff happens so I'm not giving them a zero chance but yeah I think the Florida Georgia game decides the winner of the east and who has the opportunity to uh, to knock off Bama presumably in, in uh, Atlanta for the SEC title all right before we let you go uh what's the latest on the bachelorette you're one of the few people i know that are still fans of that show but uh i know what, you and your wife what, probably watch it together what? so <laughs> look i used way back yeah. i watched it i haven't watched it in a minute so i don't really know what's going on with this year's episode i got to be honest with you well that's on you because it is maybe i'll maybe i'll do a story on this rick i'm sure somebody will please read it. Oh, please uh, the, the intersection of college football Twitter and Bachelorette Twitter. There's a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me. Barrett Salee from CBS, and there's a guy Ben um, Ben from CBS, and Cecil Hurt 
who's been covering Alabama since I think uh, Bear Bryant was born. He's a big fan, and everybody's tweeting about There is absolutely an awesome intersection there. So here's the deal, Rick. Uh, Bamba Hanna finally got rid of, of Luke P. last night. He's been just a, a scumbag. Kind of felt bad for him for a little bit, but but not anymore. He's, he's long gone, thankfully. So they're down to the final three, and one of the final three is a guy named Tyler Cameron. Do you might remember the name Tyler Cameron? He was a quarterback down in Jupiter and one time was committed to USF before eventually flipped into Wake Forest late and uh, playing a little bit too uh, at for, uh, Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. So he's kind of the guy. I don't think he's going to win, but if you're a college football fan wanting to watch The Bachelorette, as you certainly should, he's the guy to watch. Also, well, I think it starts with me as heck. Yeah, of course. Uh, and the intersection with football, you know, I mean, th- that that happened a long time ago with The Bachelor, obviously. Um, but I think anybody that uh, is the star of the show named Bama Hannah um, makes makes it SEC uh, required required watching at that point. Well, she's I mean, her name is Hannah, Hannah Brown, Hannah B. But Bama Hannah is the great nickname because she's a huge Bama fan. She is from uh, Tuscaloosa. Um I did a, a wonderful, really important story for on uh, TampaBay.com, Rick, um, where I opened, sent an open records request to the University of Alabama because the show <laughs> did a little taping. Um, the Bachelorette did a little bit of taping in Tuscaloosa at the, at the stadium and what have you. So I requested to see what was in the contract. And I think the Bachelorette <laughs> gave Bama like two grand to, to film for a day. And uh, University of Alabama could not guarantee parking because college campuses, there is no parking. Um, but that's some of the hard-hitting journalism you can only get from the 12-time uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning Tampa Bay Times. Amazing stories. That's exa- and that's why we send Matt Baker to Hoover, Alabama, where the SEC <laughs> meetings are this week. Who knows? Maybe you'll run into Banna Hanna or the next the next Bachelorette. It could could happen. Um, and you can read him on TampaBay.com. He'll be uh, talking, I'm sure, later today uh, to Jimbo Fisher. Good chance you'll read something about Jimbo uh, in today's uh, Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Rick. All right, my thanks to Matt Baker. Always fun to catch up with him. And uh, remember, the Rays continue their series with the Yankees. They still got two more games to go there. The Open Championship is in Ireland for the first time in 68 years. We're going to talk to ESPN golf writer Bob Herrick tomorrow, get his thoughts about Roy McElroy, Brooks Kepka, and, of course, Tiger Woods. And remember, folks, if you're looking for some uh, scalloping fun, call my folks at Captain Mike Swimming with the Manatees. They've got everything you need up there. If you've got a party larger than six, they've got a great selection of uh, pontoon boats available for you, and they fill it up with everything you need in terms of a GPS, a dive flag, all of that stuff. All you need is a saltwater fishing license, and you are ready uh, for scalloping fun. Book online now at swimmingwiththemanatees.com or call 352-571-1888. For Steve Verstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.